0: Several years ago, the fictional book, The Shack, was on the bestseller list and the topic of numerous book groups and discussions. I doubt that I have to describe the plot of the story, but for the sake of the one or two people out in the congregation here today who haven't read it, let me give you a quick synopsis. A father is overcome by his grief and anger at the abduction abuse and murder of his daughter. He finds himself back at the shack where the heinous crimes against his daughter took place. And in the intensity of his emotions, he is caught up in the Trinity, able to ask the three-in-one Godhead questions directly and witness their interaction with one another. I must confess that I could not give myself over to this book. I found myself continually picking apart the theology that was demonstrated in the narrative. You see, when I was in college, in one of my theology classes, I had to write a prolegomena to the Bible. A prolegomena was my theological statement, a description of my understanding of God and how God is in this world based on scripture. For example, if I said that God was good and that God is all powerful, then I, then I also had to describe how it is that evil got into this world. Because you see, if God is all good and all powerful, then how would God allow evil to be a part of our reality? So then I had to consider perhaps God is not all good or perhaps God is not all powerful. One of these had to give in order to accept the reality of evil and sin. Of course, another option was that evil and sin were not of God, but something that we ourselves have created. I think you get the picture of the difficulty of this paper. As you can imagine, this brief paper worked me over. As soon as I made a statement about God, I had to go back to the beginning and see if the rest of what I said continued to hold true and how any of it was supported by Scripture. I read The Shack as William Young, the author's Prolegomena, and I had one particular problem with it. I had a problem with Jung's reference to wisdom. About midway through the book, the main character enters a cave and engages in a conversation with wisdom. Wisdom, as our reading says this morning, has been in existence for all time, since the beginning of time. Yet where does wisdom fit in our idea of God, who is three in one? Wisdom can't be outside of the Godhead. Otherwise, we would have to admit that God is more than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if wisdom were there from the beginning, then we would be pressed to determine whether or not wisdom was or is a lesser God. So I spoke to William Young in my head, and I told him, you can't do that. You can't have wisdom show up as a being just as God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are beings. But then it dawned on me that this book is not meant to be a prolegomena of the Bible. Instead, it is the author's attempt to allow his faith to speak to a man's journey through the greatest darkness he could imagine. Wisdom plays a role in helping this character break free from his agony and his pain. Wisdom speaks a truth that is timeless. She is depicted as a female in the book of Proverbs, just as folly is depicted as a female. But wisdom is the woman to be desired because she is the one that gives life. The concept of the Trinity, which we recognize on this Trinity Sunday, really stems from Jesus. It is as followers of Christ that we have made space for God to be three in one. It is because Jesus speaks about his oneness with the Father and his sending of the Spirit that we have described God as three in one, with each part being one with the other in power and substance. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wisdom is not part of the Godhead because Jesus does not speak of wisdom. Jesus speaks of relationship. And as we hear in the Gospel this morning, we are invited into the relationship of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this relationship transforms us. Invited into the relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we begin to see the diversity within God. There are parts of God that we can easily grasp. There are parts of God that seem beyond our understanding. Yet Jesus assures his disciples that God will give them everything as they are able to receive it. The living God is a giving God, and God gives to God's children as God deems them able to receive it, holding nothing back. Consider Paul's understanding of this in his letter to the Romans that we read today. Paul is talking about suffering and his ability to boast about the sufferings he has faced. His boasting is not in the pattern of bragging. His boasting is about what God has done with the suffering. Through Paul's willingness to endure, he has discovered that God has grown him. And thus, he is filled with hope because of what he has found that God can bring from the suffering. What God brings is God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit Nothing is wasted. Through enduring the pain of the suffering, accepting the cavernous space that is left by the hurt, we too are filled with hope because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And this is where I do agree with William Young in his book, The Shack, the main character is challenged by wisdom to consider who God is based on his experience in relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he realizes that he has been quick to judge this horrible situation and especially his own role within it. And in his judgment, he has limited his ability to see God at work and been incapable Of receiving the freedom that truth and love can offer. So I ask you, how do you find yourself in relationship to suffering? Do you hold on to it in order to assure yourself that you won't forget that which is lost? Do you judge yourself or others as largely responsible? and thus guilty? Do you allow it to feed anger within you, thus giving you a sense of righteousness? Do you use suffering as a barrier between you and who you believe God should be? If you're not sure of the answer, I invite you to ask a close Christian friend, who loves you and loves God immensely of how they would answer for you. Facing the questions of the role of suffering in your life and how it affects your experience of God, it is hard work. To face these questions, we have to face some of our greatest assumptions and some of our deepest held beliefs we may be afraid to let go of our understandings. But such restlessness is likely the Spirit's calling us into a deeper and truer awareness of God. I invite you, through prayer and reading of Scripture, to take your suffering to the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Allow the Spirit to empower you to share the truth of your pain, and to guide you to receive the truth of God's love. This is not an afternoon activity, but a discipline of faithfulness, a willingness to be called into relationship again and again with God. By reading spiritual writings of faithful Christians from years gone by, we can discover how God is in relationship to God's people, and how it is that God has been attending to the suffering of humankind throughout all time. For we know without a doubt that pain and suffering are parts of life. What we long to know without a doubt is that God's redeeming love poured into our hearts can transform relentless pain into a place of quiet peace which is the foundation of pure joy. The scriptures promise us that this good news is real. Our relationship with the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit strengthens us to receive this good news so that we know it in our own lives. Amen.